Amen. All right. Hey, y'all can clap for what they were doing tonight. That's awesome. All right. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one tonight. Grab one off of that back table. It's all those blue books back there. If you don't have one at home and you need a Bible to have, you can take that home when you're done tonight. We are going to use those every time we gather in this room this week. So, while y'all are picking those up, you can go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start off in Romans chapter 3 tonight. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, that's where we're going to camp out for a little bit, and then we'll do a little bit more in chapter 5 later. So somebody tell me what we started talking about last night. Okay. I ask a question and I hear, what did we talk about last night? Who God is. Yeah, specifically, God is holy. It's, it's that song we just sang where we're entering the throne room and we're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We talked about this idea that, that every single one of us, when, when you hear that phrase, God is, you have an answer for that. You are able to finish that sentence in some way in your life. And the way that you finish that sentence, at least partially, determines how you interact with God. It says a lot about your relationship with Him. And it also determines how you interact with other people around you every single day. So when I asked you that question last night, y'all threw out a lot of good ways to finish that sentence. And the three that we said we're going to focus on this week were last night, God is holy. Tonight we're going to look at the fact that God is just and righteous. And tomorrow night we're going to look at the fact that God is love. So when we step back and we take a look at this, and I say that phrase, God is righteous and just. What do you think that means? Remember, awkward silence, don't mind it at all. What do you think that means? He's fair, okay? He makes the right decisions. Like nobody else has any thought in their head right now. What's it mean? Okay. That it will be the right one. Absolutely. That when we use those words, let me let me back up a step. Okay. Those are some very good answers. When we use the words just and righteous, here's the terms we tend to think of it. And I kind of heard one of those answers. We tend to think fair and unfair. Thank you for grabbing those. Fair and unfair. Right. You guys are used to those words. Like, have you ever, you ever have siblings and you get an argument with your sibling, your brother or sister, and the phrase comes out of your mouth, well, that's not fair. You ever had that happen before? Yeah, there's a couple of us in here. Can I tell you a secret? And your parents may have told you this. Life is not fair. So it, that phrase really does us no good because the problem is when it comes to what we think is fair and unfair, it's pretty different for every single person. For instance, ladies, let me ask you this question. If I told you tonight that during our game time with shaving cream, you would get to take a pie pan, fill it with shaving cream, and pick any guy in this group and put it in his face, would you think that's fair? Yes. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Guys, would you think that's fair? Okay, some of you are like, some of you are like yes, the rest like, no, there's no way. Okay, so what if I reversed it and said, guys, you get to pick any lady in the room and do that to them tonight? 
You'd be good with that, okay. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Ladies, would that be fair? No, okay, okay. So, you all just proved a very good point for me. Depending on your circumstances, that determines what you think is fair or not. Depending on your experiences and what's happening to you oftentimes in the moment determines if you think something is fair or unfair. But you see how that can cause a problem for us. Because we live in a world that tells you, hey, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. You do you, I'll do me, and everybody will be fine. The problem with that is when our views of what is fair and right and justice don't line up with each other. And when those things don't line up, we have conflict. We have arguments. We have wars. We have all, all kinds of things, backbitings, gossip, all kinds of stuff starts to happen because our standard of what is fair and just and righteous changes based on their situation and who you're talking to. So here's the thing. When we take a step back from that and step out of our own selves and we start to look at the world around us, if we live in a world where everyone has a different standard for what is just and what is righteous, then the problem is we can't solve and make any, we can't solve those problems and make the world a just and righteous place because we can't come to agreement on what that is. So there has to be a standard outside of ourselves. It comes down to something called the problem of evil. Have you all ever heard that phrase before? Anybody? Okay. Do you know what it is? Can you explain it? Okay. What you got, Logan? What is evil to me? Yeah. Anything that that calls sin and evil is evil to me. But it's a good question. So what may be evil to me is evil to somebody else. It's not evil to somebody else. And that's what I'm telling you. We can't be the standard for what is just and righteous because all of our opinions differ. The problem of evil is this larger concept of, okay, it breaks down to some general questions. Maybe you've heard some of these questions before. If God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? If God is really good and loving, then why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's a false question because let's be honest, if we're all sinners, there are no good people. So that's not even a good question. But it's questions like that. If, if God is good and God is just and God is righteous, then why are there so many bad things that happen? And the problem we fall into is the fact that we are judging what is just and righteous for God by our standards. And yet we've already determined we can't set that standard because the fact is we have sin and evil in our own hearts. And if we can't fix that problem for ourselves here, how in the world can we fix it out there and deal with the problem of evil? And that's a problem that different religions and different people have been trying to answer for years and years and years. And most times, most major religions and most people that will tell you that if you're going to solve the problem of evil, you've got to fix this first. You've got to get the sin and the evil out of your own heart. And here's how you're told to do that. You're told to do that by being kind to people, by loving people, by serving people, by giving money, by building stuff, by doing all of these things. And the problem is all of those things are still external to the sin problem that we have inside. Because we can't fix that sin problem. And if we can't fix that sin problem, no amount of good we do in the world will fix this 
Therefore, the problem of evil will always exist. That's why we've got to take a step back and say, if it's a problem here, then I can't set that standard. You can't set that standard. Society can't set that standard. There has to be something outside of us that actually is righteous and just. And that's why we have to turn to the word of God. Because the one thing that never changes is God. The one person that is constant, consistent through all of time, from the beginning of creation, from before creation, up until now, and will be for eternity, God does not change. He is the standard for what is just and what is righteous. And we see that all over scripture as we walk through some of these different passages. So if God is going to be that standard, then that standard is what we've got to go to right here in scripture. And let me tell you something about God being just and righteous. God always acts on what is right. Always acts on what is right. And is himself the final standard for what is right. So God can determine what is righteous and just because God is the standard for what is righteous and just. Does that make sense? Or does that sound confusing? Does this make sense? Okay. This doesn't make sense. Anybody there? Okay. If not, we can talk about it a little bit more. But God is the standard. God is the one outside of us. And as we walk through scripture, we start to see that God is the one who sets that standard and God is the one who offers that standard of justness and righteousness to us. Because remember, we can't fix ourselves. We can't be that standard because we have that sin problem. And he starts talking about that in Romans chapter three. It starts specifically in verse 21. This is a guy by the name of Paul who writes this book. And Paul writes, he writes like two thirds of the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament. And Paul goes through and helps us understand what it means to be somebody who follows Jesus. Somebody who honors God with your life on a daily basis. And he starts explaining this whole idea of righteousness and being just in Romans 3 verse 21. Let me read this. It says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom you put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier and the one who has faith for the one who has faith in Jesus. So right there at the beginning of that passage, if you go through all of those verses, you see over and over again, it talks about God is righteous, God is righteous, God is righteous. And it says right there in that last verse that he will be just and the justifier. God is the standard of what is just and what is righteous. And it tells us right there in that verse. And because he is that standard, he is now able to look at the entire world and tell us what is fair and what's not fair. Because he's the standard for it. But back up for a second in verse 21, he throws something in there that we need to pay attention to. He says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, what he's talking about when he says there, the law, he's talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system for the people of God. 
And that sacrificial system, it it required the people of God in order to be in God's presence and in order to show their gratefulness, their thankfulness to God, and in order to be forgiven of their sin by God, they had to offer different sacrifices to God. And we won't go through all of them, but let me give you a couple examples of what those sacrifices were. And there's going to be some scripture references that come up on the screen. I told you guys last night, bring paper, bring a notebook, bring a pen, bring something, write all this down because... You need to go back and read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go back and read it for yourself and know what God's word says. But those sacrifices went like this. The burnt offering, the first one there, that was an act of worship to express devotion or commitment to God. And it was done as an atonement for sin. So you've got one sacrifice there. The next one was a grain offering. The grain offering was to express thanksgiving in recognition of God's provision And God's unmerited goodwill, that means we didn't deserve it toward the person making the sacrifice. Then there was the peace offering. This was a sacrifice of thanksgiving and fellowship followed by a shared meal, which means, hey, I'm sacrificing this to God and we're going to have this friendship through that sacrifice. The sin offering, the purpose of that offering was to atone for sin and cleanse from defilement, which means the people of God had not kept their lives holy the way God had given them. Remember those Ten Commandments we walked through last night? They had not stayed holy the way God called them to be holy, so they had to offer a sacrifice to pay for that sin in their life. And then the trespass offering. This was given as an atonement for unintentional sins, and it required reimbursement to an offended party. So you did something accidentally, like you accidentally killed your neighbor's ox. You got to go give this offering and it's to make peace with that person and to actually pay them for what was, what was taken for them. And it was a cleansing for sins. Those were just a couple. There were all kinds of offerings in the Old Testament that the people of God were required or asked or directed by God to make towards God. And every one of those activities had a purpose and they all had to do with the person and the character of who God is. Every single one of those in those sacrifices, they had to do with making themselves right before God and sometimes with other people. Because scripture tells us over and over that we're supposed to love God above everything else and then we're supposed to love others, love our neighbor. That's what it tells us. That's what Jesus says in the New Testament. So those sacrifices were to make the people of God right before God. But here's the problem with those sacrifices. It's not like you could say, okay, God, I messed up. I'm going to go to the temple today. I'm going to give a burnt offering. I'm going to make this animal sacrifice. And then I don't ever have to make that sacrifice again. No, because they would walk away from the temple after making that offering and that sacrifice. And they would walk outside and do something again that sinned against God. So guess what they had to do? They had to do it again. This was not a one-time thing. It was a repeated. You have to do it again and do it again and do it again to be forgiven and to be forgiven and to be forgiven. And that entire system right there was put in place for humanity to understand you can't do enough good to solve the problem of sin and evil in your own heart. And there's something else to pay attention to in these offerings and these sacrifices. Every single one that was supposed to atone for sin, that was supposed to bring forgiveness for the sin you had in your life, every single one of those required the shedding of blood. Every single one of them. 
Now, it was different animals depending on the sacrifice. It was done in a different way depending on what the offering said and what God's law said. But every single time you walk through here, you see that an animal had to die because blood had to be shed to pay the penalty for sin. And we don't just see that in the Old Testament sacrificial system. You can see that God had that set in place farther back in the Old Testament. If you go back and you don't have to flip there, but in Exodus chapter 12, you see where Moses has the Passover feast and that Passover feast was done in remembrance of the fact that when God was sending the plagues through the land of Egypt and Moses was trying to bring God's people out of Egypt like we talked about last night, God sent the angel of death through Egypt. And God's people were told, you're going to take a lamb, you're going to kill that lamb, you're going to take its blood, you're going to put it over your doorpost. And as the angel of death passes through the land of Egypt, all of the firstborn children, all of the Egyptian houses, they're going to die. God says, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to wipe out that future generation. But in order for you to be saved and be covered and be forgiven of your sin, you put the blood on your doorpost and the angel of death will pass over your house. And nothing will happen. So you see that blood requirement for that sacrifice, for that covering of sin. But you can go back even further than that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you see the account of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, and how they brought sacrifices to God. And God was pleased with one and God was not pleased with the other. So the one brother goes and kills the other brother and sacrifices has to be made to cover for the sin. But you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you can look in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve take the fruit, when they disobey God, remember the one thing God said, don't do this. And they said, nope, we're going to do that anyway. The one thing God told them not to do, and they sinned against God and they dishonored God. And because they did that, sacrifice had to be made. Scripture tells us that they're in the garden, they eat the fruit, and all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they knew the difference between good and evil and they realized they were naked and they went and hid. And in order for them to be closed, God kills an animal to give them clothes. Blood had to be shed for the covering of sin. And if you look at their reaction, when God comes looking for them, what do they do? What did I just tell you they do when God comes to talk to them and says, where are you? They hide. First of all, do you think God really didn't know where they were? No, you guys said last night, God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. God knows all of these things. And yet God said, hey, where are you? And they said, we hid because we were naked. He says, who told you you were naked? And right then you see the fear and the shame and the guilt that comes from sin that comes from disobeying and dishonoring who God is. And Adam and Eve could not solve that problem for themselves, the problem of evil, because in that moment they were by nature sinners. And because they chose to sin, we are now by nature sinners. Scripture tells us that it's passed down to every generation. And that's who we are. And yet, as we look at this right here in Romans chapter 3, it starts over again in verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So God has provided his justness and his righteousness 
to humanity apart from the Old Testament sacrificial system. It means God has done something on our behalf. He has stepped into humanity and done something that what we were trying to do could never solve the problem of. It says right there, it says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all, for all, every single one of us. As I said last night, your 99-year-old grandmother who thinks you're the cutest thing in the world and pinches your cheek and just loves to bake you cookies, she's a sinner. I realized this many years ago. Well, not many years ago. My daughter's only 10 now. But when my daughter was about a year and a half, is that right, Kathleen? We were sitting at the dinner table one night, and we were talking about something, and the boys were, were talking about different stuff, and I only remember the conversation, and Michaela just wanted to be a part of the conversation. And at one point, she says, I can make fire with my hand. And, and in that moment, it hit me. My beautiful, precious little girl a dirty little liar. She's a sinner. My little child that could barely talk is a sinner because we all are. That's what Paul is talking about right there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. But then it goes on and it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Do you all know what that word propitiation means? Not a clue. It means he's a substitute. It means Jesus hung on a cross and paid the penalty that was owed for sin in our place. He was our substitute. Because if God is holy and God is just and God is righteous and God cannot be in the presence of sin, then we cannot pay the cost that is owed for our own sin because we don't meet God's standard. God had to take action himself. God had to step into humanity and do what we could not do so that we could know him and have a relationship with him. Paul not only talks about that in Romans chapter 3, he also talks about it in Romans chapter 5. In fact, he brings laser focus to what he's talking about in Romans 5, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He's saying every single one of us is infected with sin, affected by sin because of the choice that Adam made. One man's choice caused sin to enter into every person in humanity for all time. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus was God in the flesh. 
and this is where it's crazy. We can't wrap our minds around it. Jesus was 100% God, and yet Jesus was also 100% man. Scripture tells us he was tempted in every way that we're tempted to sin, and yet he did not stumble. Scripture also tells us that he is God in the flesh. The knowledge, the power, the presence of who God is on earth in human form. And what Jesus did is he took our place on the cross. He was a, a propitiation for our sins. And then it says here, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. The judgment of a just and righteous God. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What we find happening here is all of this going full circle. Adam and Eve sinned against God because of their choice. We're all infected and affected by sin. And while we may say that that's not fair, why do I have to pay the penalty for something that Adam did so long ago? We got to remember, we don't set the standard for what's fair, do we? We've got sin, so we don't get to determine what's just and what is righteous. God does that because God is holy. Because of sin, we deserve his wrath. Yet because of his love and what we see right here in Romans 3 and Romans 5, because of his love, which we'll explore more of tomorrow night, he satisfies his own justness and his own righteousness on our behalf. He does what you and I cannot do. If sin requires a blood sacrifice, an offering, yet you and I are scarred with sin, you and I can never make atonement for that sin before a just and righteous God. It takes God acting on our behalf. It takes Jesus stepping into humanity. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who lived a life without sin, who even though he was around the problem of evil every single day of his humanity, was never internally touched by that problem of evil or by sin. Jesus, who gave his life on a cross, taking the judgment that you and I rightly deserve a punishment that is demanded by the righteousness and the justness of who God is and Jesus who rose from a tomb three days later and defeated death and conquered sin in that Romans 3 and Romans 5 shows us that Jesus provides a way for you and for me to experience the righteousness of God that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5 and when you grasp that when you understand that God is just and God is righteous and we have absolutely no reason, nothing about any one of us in our lives to ever be able to be in the presence of God and to worship him and to have a relationship with him. And yet he offers it to us anyway. When you grasp that, you know what it means to be loved by God. And in that instant, you can say, God, I'm a sinner. And God, I can't fix myself. I need the sacrifice of your son. His death, his burial, his resurrection to forgive me of my sin. And I want to follow you with my life. 
in that moment, Scripture tells us you belong to God and nothing can take you away from Him. And then you have the opportunity to pursue His holiness. And then you really understand what it means when it says God is just and God is righteous. And if you can grasp that, it will lead you to worship Him for who God is and who we are not. That's only a question you can answer tonight. Do you understand that God is just and God is righteous and you are not? That you are in desperate need of a Savior and that's who Jesus is. If you're here tonight and you're not sure, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've got questions about it, you've never even heard some of this before. We're going to stand up in a minute and we're going to sing one more song. And I'm going to be standing right over here. And if you want to talk to somebody, come see me. Or go talk to any one of the adults in this room. They would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. But if you're here tonight and you say, I've been forgiven of my sin. And I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Then does that knowledge cause you to worship? And I don't just mean singing. Yes, we express it through singing, but I'm talking about every single day of your life to worship God in everything that you do. When you understand who God is, that's what it'll do in your life. Let me pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come here this week and to spend time, God, focusing on you. And God, I pray right now that as, as we get up, as we sing this last song, God, as we get to go outside and, and have some crazy, messy fun tonight, God, help us to worship you. Help us to have a heart that is truly humble before you in every area of our life. God, help us to know that you set the standard for what is right in this world. We will never be holy as you are holy, God, but help us to pursue you. God, I pray right now, anybody in here that's never, never put their faith and trust in you, God, grab a hold of them right now. Show them how much you love them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.